Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Good evening, good evening, good evening everyone This is your host tonight, Dr. Nancy And we are on Stop Child Abuse Now Scan number 3334 uh, if you'd like to be a part of our panel tonight, please feel free to call in. Our guest number is 646-595-2118. Again, that number is 646-595-2118. And uh, so NASCA, uh, Stop Child Abuse Now radio show is what you're listening to. And NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Nancy V. Brown-Willis, and uh, we're on scan number 3334. First, I'd like to start by reading our NASCA mission statement to address issues related to child abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, Educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, if you'd like to be a part of our show tonight, please feel free to call in. The number is 646-595-2118. And, you know, we have the honor of having a special guest tonight. Uh, Tonight's special guest is Wendell Fields from Tuskegee, Georgia. Wendell is a survivor of various abuses. They include sexual, physical, and psychological abuse. He has overcome the odds of being born two pounds, 10 ounces, and labeled as being developmentally disabled. With this mindset of being confused, rejected, not good enough, self-hatred and distrust of the world around him, in 2008, Wendell attempted to take his life through the use of suicide. Although these circumstances and hardships occurred, 
He has also overcome the odds of the trauma of sexual abuse, being bullied, the misuse of alcohol, and the stigma of being diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Wendell now uses his experiences to help educate, advocate, and connect people to community support and resources. He is a board-certified Christian counselor and certified Christian life coach with the National Association of Christian Counselors. He is a National Alliance on Mental Illness, that's NAMI, of Georgia Board of Directors, and is appointed uh, representative of Georgia to the NAMI National Peer Leadership Council. He is one of the crew of the multi-award winning film and documentary, Suicide, The Ripple Effect. He is a best-selling co-author of the book, There Is No Health Without Mental Health, Men and Mental Health. Let's talk about it. He is an international speaker on mental health topics. Uh, Lastly, he is the president and CEO of Wendell Fields Enterprises, LLC. Uh, When you go on our NASCA.org website, you'll be able to read his bio, read his story, and you'll be able to access the link to his interview again, and you'll also be able to see all his contact information. So he, um, his email is Wendell underscore Fields, um, and his website is www.wendellfields.com. Okay. So, uh, again, if you'd like to access that information, when you log into NASCA.org, go to uh, our SCAN radio show, you will look under scan number 3334, and that's a scan number. So without further ado, I want to welcome uh, Wendell Fields, a.k.a. Brother Man. He's also, you know, a, one of my community partners, uh, fellow advocate and fellow um, peer and friend. Uh, and so uh, without further ado, welcome, Wendell. Oh, yeah, this is your boy, Wendell Fields, talking to you. Oh, yeah, I like saying that name. I think I say it one more again. Wendell Fields. Oh, God, dog, I felt that one in my backside when I said it that time. Oh, yeah, hello, <laughs> Dr. Nancy B. Oh, yeah, Brown Willis. What you no good tonight? <laughs> Well, that was a great introduction. Thank you so much, you know, for agreeing. I know you, you, you're a very, very busy man, okay? I know you're out here. You got your cape on, and, and you're out here doing a lot of community service, a lot of community work, a lot of advocacy work, and there's so much work to be done. Um, and so I've had the honor of, um, you know, watching you and some of the work that you have been doing, and so it's an honor just to have you on tonight. And I think it's important for for men to hear from men. You know, um, a lot of times men don't come forward and share their stories, so men don't have a roadmap to follow and be able to say, well, well, I went through this and they're stuck. But being able to say or see someone who's able, able to say, I went through this, this is how I, I, I went through all of this, and this is how I came out on the other side. If I could do it, you could do it too. And I think that um, you definitely are breathing hope into others, and especially men, um, because men need it. 
black, white, Asian, you know, men who have been through abuse, you are um, definitely a, a good example of overcoming and surviving. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you to the National Association Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Um, thank you for having me on here. And um, it's a serious topic. I had to break up the, 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 it's serious, but I didn't want it to come in like, oh, it's going to be such a dreadful conversation. Mm-hmm. Out of the ashes, the brother man has came up, and he is surviving, not only surviving, he is thriving, and he wants the brother man out there to know that there is hope, there is strength, and everything really is going to be all right. It really is, and it has taken me even even. <laughs> To last night at church, and 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 mm-hmm. the um, apostle Travis B. Jennings of the Harvest Tabernacle Church in Latonia, Georgia. That 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 man has caused movement to be in my life. And even on last night, it was um, he he was talking about thriving, but yet also he was talking about the last thing on the list was. Forgiveness, and woo, last night I got even more freer with him teaching on the subject, with him talking about that that big concept of forgiveness, and how that it really does bring me peace with me forgiving those that I think have wrong me or cause me harm or because in doing so it has free I, I feel like weights literally weights are off of me and I can move freely through today, through tomorrow, through the future. And um spirituality does work. My faith works and I just encourage you and others who are listening if they have the chance and if they will allow themselves again or for the first time, just know that your higher power is there and that it is here to help you get through each and everything. Now, for me, I'm a Christian. So my take on it is that Christ can do a whole lot of stuff. But see, I know that people are listening who might not believe in Christ. And they might believe in other things. But I'm telling you, for me, because it's different strokes for different folks, I can only say that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done some marvelous things in my life that has aided in me overcoming the odds with the abuses that I have sustained. And I'm just telling y'all, it's so much. It's Man, it's, it's a lot. And, and once again, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Amen. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer 
in that scripture, um, you know, Philippians 1 and 6, he who, start, mm-hmm. who, he who started a good work, he will finish it. Mm-hmm. And so even though, <laughs> even though, you know, that work, um, was started, like you said, from, from a place of ashes where you're like, you see destruction, you see darkness, you're like, there is no way. God doesn't no love way. me. There's no way. Mm-hmm. But look, because of what we went through, and, and look, he gives the biggest uh, battles to his strongest soldiers. And it's the truth Lord because he knew we were going to take it from here and take it to there and carry that torch and pass it to the next. And everything that is going on now, even our connection or anyone that's on this call right now, we have two people listening at this time right now um, Mm -hmm. on live, but um, you know, who, who, who's in the room need to be in the room. They were meant to be in the room. So those people that are in connection with us, they were meant to be in connection with us because God knows that we got that torch and he knows that we're going to give it to the right person. Yeah. So we got to pass it on to the right person and we're not going to abuse it as we have grown and, and as God is still continuing to develop us. So I do, um, I, 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 I love the fact that you guys are working on that area of forgiveness. So before we get into that, because we will come back to that in a little bit. You know, I want to just start a little bit from the beginning. We do have some time, so I don't want to rush you through your story. Um, so I know that you said that you're originally from Tuskegee, Georgia. Alabama. So uh, Tuskegee, how was that? Alabama. Oh, oh Tuskegee, 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 Alabama. Alabama. All right, we're gonna we're gonna edit that on the website. Don't Georgia. worry. <laughs> okay, okay. So from Tuskegee, and then right there, okay, and then moved to Georgia. So how was that coming up in Alabama? Your earlier years, how 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 was that? Well, you know, now now with the brother man, it, it's a different time. It's a different time than it is now. Mm-hmm. Y'all got all these modernized um, contraptions and all that good stuff and. And back then, you know, it was, I mean, it was a different era. That's all I got to say about that. You know, the the typewriter was the word processor. And, and oh, my, here it is. The brother man weighed two pounds, ten ounces at St. Uh, Andrew's Hospital that was in Tuskegee. Um, Alabama, and and I tell you, if you could wear your baseball cap hat, that was the size of the brother man from head to toe. And um, have you ever heard of the word eclampsia? Eclampsia? No. So what's eclampsia? I didn't say the claps. I didn't say a sexually, um, you know, sexually transmitted disease. No, because I heard of the clamps. I'm talking about eclampsia. Oh. That is when the mother has high blood pressure, and that high blood pressure is causing her to have seizures. It's causing her to um, faint. In and out, be conscious, in and out, be incontinent, urinating and defecating on herself to 
just not doing well at all. And that's if you ever heard of fetal poisoning, that's what the yeah. doctor said that I was giving my mom. Um, and so with that, my mom um, was out of it. And the doctor had to go to my grandmother and ask this question of who do you want to live? Your grandbaby or your daughter? And and my grandmother said, both of them are going to live because she said it in faith. She said it in faith, and it ends up that um that that's what happened. Both of us came through, but yet here's the interesting part: the doctor um was a a nominated candidate for the Surgeon General of the United States under. President Clinton. But the reason why he didn't get the nomination was because they said that he performed too many abortions. But yet I wasn't aborted. And my name, my first name, is named after him, which is Dr. Henry Wendell Foster, because he's the one that birthed me under all circumstances, even though my mom was technically out of it. And so that's how I got that name, Wendell. And so with that, I'm I'm living proof that, okay, that, that a baby still can live. And I'm thankful to God that he made it so. And so um, with that, Brother Man had to stay in the incubator for a little while, getting poked and prod and all that good glass. Yep, that, that was me. I got a picture of it as me sitting on the glass with one of the nurses holding me in just one hand. That's how small I was. And so um, after that, um, I got fattened up, you know, my health got better, and they allowed the brother man to go home to mom and dad, and and it was it was it was nice. I remember um, we had a small little house in Tuskegee um, near the metropolitan part of Tuskegee, and I just remember the green um, and other colored uh, carport port that we had. And um, it was just great. It was wonderful. Um, And then my mom, she ended up getting a job in Georgia. And so we went to Jackson, Georgia, um, and lived there for a while. And um, it it was um, interesting um, due to the fact of that you know, my my family loved games, um, and at that time they was playing baseball, I remember, or, or softball or something. And I remember walking across the yard, and I remember getting hit in the head 
with a bat by accident. And I just remember I had a headache, and, man, it was sort of sort of rough there. But, you know, the brother man made it on through, you know, because at that time I don't think they really thought it was that serious. But um, it ends up that I, I, I survived it and, and kept on going. And um, it ends up that, um, you know, so from Jackson, Georgia to Tuskegee, we went sort of back and forth a little bit in that transition. And here comes where it gets sort of gritty and grainy. Um do, do we have time to discuss it? Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay. So now comes a serious part in my life, and it's one of the factors why I love helping other people, and especially someone in this category. So at the age of four, I was molested by a friend of the family, and um, it was sort of like um, didn't know what was going on. Um, was um, really confused, um, and. It involved um, being put in a closet, the sliding door shut, and the person who was a woman did what they did, got on top and was doing what they were doing. But also along that line was another family friend. And although this happened once, this family friend, I had went down to go visit, but I was like having a skateboard, I remember. And the individual saw me skateboarding outside, and they said, hey, come on in. And I was like, oh, because it was a family friend. And it ends up that he gets me inside and tries to break me. And... I knew something was wrong. I knew that what the individual was trying to do was wrong. And um, it ends up that I had to with all say because the door was open and it was one of those old-time homes. I said, I think someone is pulling up. And he's like, no, you no, no. And he and I said, no, somebody's pulling up. And it, it scared him to the point where he got up. And that's where I got up myself and ran out the front door 
with my clothes halfway down. And what what are you supposed to say? It was my mind. I was scared. Um, I didn't know who to talk to, who to tell. And so I kept it to myself. I, I didn't go back down, the, you know, away from the home. And um, I just kept it to myself for a long time. So, you know, it caused my mind to be confused. Um, like, what, what's going on? And then, you know, I started practicing the things that they taught. And um, it was just, I wasn't in a good space. I, you know, it, it was rough. It was rough, Doc. It, it, it was rough. Wow. Wow. Um, in the first part, I just want to say thank you for sharing and for being transparent and for sharing your story. Um, so sorry that you even had to experience that. That's horrible. It's very traumatic. So now, what happened with this family friend, the first one? Did you have to? Did you see her again? And then what happened with this male family friend? Did he continue coming around as if nothing happened? Like what? What happened after that point? Well, the first one, um, I would see them, but I didn't like go away with them. If that makes sense, I would stay where the person could. Could, the, the, the parent could see me and and be near them mainly almost all the time. Um, the second individual, they would come around the house, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, come near them or anything. I stayed away from them, and um, I. I um, if they if they saw me, you know, on on the street playing anything, and they told me to come here, I wouldn't come. I just would go back to the home, like run back to the home, and 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 stay there. Um, and so it it took a while. Um, for me to come back out and and socialize like freely, jewelry, you know, being jovial and everything because that trust, it was gone. It, it was sort of like my whole concept of um, what is love was that concept that was forced on me. And so the innocence, the 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 learning for yourself, the, all of that was taken away. And so um, I had been living, you know, in this geared type of thinking, and it was it it was it was interesting to, to say the least. Um, but yet. Um, we got to keep going on, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So the first abuser, she was pretty much gone, and then the second one tried to make little attempts in between to still get you or connect with you? Mm-hmm. Did you um, ever tell, like, one of your friends? Did you have any siblings? Yeah, I, I, I have an older sister, but I'd even tell her. Um, I just I, I couldn't tell my grandparents. That's who we were staying with, and um, I couldn't even tell them. I, 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 what, what are you supposed to say at? four or five years old, you know, what, what that was in my mind. Who, who can I tell this to? It wasn't until I was later in my teens that I actually told my mom. And when I say in my teens, I'm talking about 13, 14, when I told my mom about the situation that had occurred. When when you told your mom, um, did your mom believe you? What was her take on you telling her? Did you tell her about both perpetrators? Um, what was her take, and what did you tell her? Told her that such and such had sex with me, that such and such attempted to rape me, um, at 14 years old, um, not well, I told my mom at 14, but I told him that it was around four or five, and I said I still can remember that. And my mom was slightly taken back because um, she didn't want she didn't want me to panic, and I knew that if she would have panicked, I would have panicked. And so she didn't want me to panic, so she stayed calm, and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. So here it is. Uh, um, I'm older, and one of the – one of my cousins was getting married, and – the 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 family friend was there, and when they came through the door, anger flowed over me, and I wanted to go hurt that individual for hurting me, even though they were older than me. I wanted to hurt them bad. And I had to calm down. I, 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 I think they say, "Hey, Wendell, this is you remember Tony?" And I just remember cutting my eyes at him, and like I said, "Yeah, I remember Tony." And it was like, "Yeah, I remember what you did to me, and I need to kick yo." Yeah, that's how I was feeling that particular night. But you know what? It, 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 he he went on. I I went on, but uh, I wanted to get him that night for what he had did to me. 
So the other person I didn't see, they 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 went off to a college and everything. So um so did you ever tell anyone outside of your mom about this other person, like to kind of pre-warn anyone, kind of blow up this spot pre-warn? Um, because if if he did that to you, he definitely, that's something that he's, he's comfortable doing. Yeah, and there's some kids that don't remember. So a lot of times abusers do go after three, four, five-year-olds. Um, my granddaughter, she's five years old. And, I mean, when I went through my abuse, I was five years old. That five-year-old is such a pivotal point because four, you may not five, you, you will remember severe trauma. Mm-hmm. And it could really have a big effect on the brain. So mm-hmm. did you ever think, like, let me just tell people who know him to start blowing up his spot, or let me just tell people who know him so that they can be aware that this is what he does. These are his tendencies. And at this point, um, I don't know if, if there's a statute of limitation. People are still coming out at this point um, and putting charges on people or uh, uh, alerting, just creating a police report and alerting it so that it's on their record um, because these people are really dealing with mental illness. Unfortunately uh, for me, my perpetrator is in Costa Rica. So, um, you know, if he was here, I would definitely probably do that at this point today. Now, I did that like I used to meet, and this, and this was my father. I shared that with you earlier. Um, you know, there's people who he was dating, and I would just start telling them, like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I went through this, and he did that. And then they would break up with him. And I was like, man, they got little kids. Like, girl, you don't know nothing about this man. You so in love. You don't know nothing about the deepness of this severity of this issue. You got your children, girl. You're about to mess up these children. And I would just blow up the spot, you know, because I felt like, you know what? I need to blow up the spot. This was what I did older and probably my late 20s but um you know I don't know about statutes of limitation but you know sometimes at this point that person is going on and everybody's just keeping quiet and the perpetrator is moving on and they're perpetuating this abuse on so many people and we don't know how to tell and we don't know how what's the right way to tell it's it's so confusing it's so confusing. I mean, what do you do? You're four. Uh, I cannot even imagine. Number one, let me just tell you something, Wendell. Again, thank you for your transparency. And number two, hey, you smart brother man. You a smart little brother man. Let me tell you something. You a smart brother man. Let me tell you, how would you think to say, I think I hear something. Somebody's coming. You outsmarting this fool. At four years old, <laughs> you're so smart. I wouldn't even, that was a good one, you know, to create a distraction for this fool to get up and pull, and, and, and pull his, himself together to move off so that you can run. Kids four and five, don't, a lot of kids four, but they don't think like that. They just, I mean, adults 
sometimes are victims of this type of abuse, and they don't even think fast enough to create a distraction. For you to be at that age, man, you are definitely um, anointed and gifted, and you're and you're built for this to, to help support other survivors. So I just want to, again, um, give your flowers in that area because that, that was amazing. Before we continue... Um, I want to make sure that um that I open up the mic. If anyone has a comment or a question, uh, you are welcome to join us. Um, and if anyone would like to call in, the number again is six four six five nine five two one one eight. Tonight, our special guest is Wendell Fields. He is an advocate. Uh, a peer support, uh, Christian life coach, a counselor. He he's a lot of things. He, I mean that the list goes on. We we only have a certain amount of space to put in here uh, the bio information. But uh, he's a survivor of a lot of different forms of abuse, and uh, he's walking us through. And so again, um, if you would like to join in, I just opened up the mic, and I'm gonna just let you guys come forth and ask or make a comment. Paula or Philip, anybody would like to make a comment? No. Hi. Okay, go ahead, Philip. <laughs> Thank you, Paula. Go ahead, Philip. I don't have a comment. Go ahead. You have a comment? No, I don't have a comment. Oh, you don't. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Philip, for joining us. So we we appreciate the support. Hi, how are you guys? Hey, hey there. How are you? Hey, um, I'm Paula, and um, I had a I have a question. Um, as far as comments, kind of both. When you're dealing with, I hear about the the younger uh, kids, even it's teens. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is when you were talking about how you didn't have, you couldn't tell anybody, you felt like you couldn't, was it because you just really didn't have anybody to speak to, you didn't have the words for it, or um, what caused you to feel like you couldn't say anything? And I hear it a lot, and I've dealt, I didn't deal with uh, abuse or any type of sexual abuse as a child, but as an adult, I had, I've been in positions, and I didn't say anything. And I did have reasons why I was, and it wasn't because I wasn't taught. I'm wondering, was it, do you think it would have been easier had someone prepared you, like, you know, if anybody does this or puts you in this position, you come to mommy and you let mommy know. Or you, you know, because there are parents that do that and the child or the adult or who they still don't say anything. And I guess I wonder what, what is that? Because I've done it and I know why I did it, why I didn't mm-hmm. say anything, but it's like, 
what can be or is there anything that can be done about that to have the courage to go ahead and speak how it's making any sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, it, for me, it does. It's it's mainly like, as you were saying about words, you you don't have those words, but yet also you understand that this is a friend of the family, and they usually are always around. And so mm-hmm. it's an unspoken language. That's the reason I was saying that I was staying more close to the adults, um, my grand, you know, my grandfather, grandmother, um, more people who I was familiar with as far as family-wise, not outside of the family. And it's sort of like, well, who am I supposed to tell this to? And at that time, you know, it wasn't like the rage or the Martin thing to do was talk about, you know, sexuality at that time. Um, it was like, you go outside and play, you know, and you don't come come in until maybe the, the, the street lights um, come on. You know, those type of things because it's, it's it was just a different time and a different mindset and people, I guess, would look at it as um, more morally, you're bad, and at that time, you know, people believed that people could live on morals more than, you know, what they were doing in secret. And so, um, I don't know if that answered some of your question, but I hope it did answer a, a bit of it. But for me, I didn't have the words, um, the concept. Um, you know, people think that you all are just plain, you know, and mm-hmm. it just was a different time, a, a, a different mindset that people had. They didn't have to worry about necessarily about family, friends coming in and violating your child or anything like that. That's that's the best way that I can answer that. Does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. Okay. Did I answer? Paula, your did you question? have and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sorry, say that again. He said did did he he and he asked did did he answer your question? Yeah. I mean I I get that. I just <laughs> I still, I do wonder, um, I guess I'm looking at that's how the the silence, being silent, and I understand back then, that's where a lot of things happened. You know, mm-hmm. you had uncles, and you find out uncles and cousins and brothers, they did it, and it was like an unspoken mm-hmm. thing. Like some parents, some people even knew, but it's like, oh, don't say nothing. You know, oh, that's your brother, that's your uncle, that's what, you know, and... You don't want to bring shame uh, to the family. The more emphasis was on keeping it quiet than the emphasis of saying something about it or talking about it. Everybody just, Mm -hmm. it was, 
yeah, it was shame. Like you say, the emphasis was on the shame and not letting it get out or keeping it down to a minimum instead of speaking out because um, mm-hmm. you're turning against your family. It's like family before was traumatizing, what's hurtful to your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, I kind of get it. I guess I just, with my kids, I decide, I wanted to, I was very honest and verbal with them. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, it didn't happen to me when I was younger, but I, I heard about it, and I used to, I didn't physically see things, but I would just hear stuff, and I always tried to prepare my kids when they were little, you know, and mm-hmm. things still happen. There are kids that would, were prepared as young uh, young kids to say, you know, just because that's your grandma, your uncle, your cousin, you you know, don't sit in the man's lap, don't do this, watch out for that. They were prepared, mm-hmm. and some of them still slipped through the crack and something happened, and they still didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. If that you understand what I'm saying, so it's almost like I guess that fear, initial fear, you know, but then there's mm-hmm. something else that causes you just that overrides it and say, still don't say nothing. I've been taught, I heard about this, but just to say it, it's like what that initial fear keeps them from speaking out. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Well, let me say this to you, Paula. Thank you so much for sharing with me and and, and with everybody else and with Dr. Nancy. I appreciate your courage, and I appreciate your being vulnerable and honest and, and letting other people know that, hey, these things do occur, you know, but it's not the time to say hush, hush. It's more like talk, talk, say something. Let your parents and your guardians know that, hey, this happened to me. He did that or she did that and and let it be known so that it doesn't build up. And as you were talking, I was like, yeah, that is true about this person um, going on in life and doing those things. And Dr. Nancy was speaking about it too. You know, and um, like I said, just thank you for speaking up. And once again, at that time in that era, you know, it, I wouldn't, you, you, you know, now that I'm an adult, but at that time it's like, who, what child do I tell? I, I don't have that many friends, you know, everybody uh-huh. almost your friend, you know, but uh-huh. who who can I tell? Who can I share this with? And that you know, my parents they they were working, so you know, um, they left us with the family friends, you know. So right, it's yeah, yeah. I understand. Uh huh. Well, the good. Yeah. Well, the good thing about today is that you know we have a lot of resources. Um, we have uh, a lot of resources, a lot of access to social media, and so we make um, telling a lot more popular today. Uh, we make mm-hmm. sharing or reaching out for help and support a lot more helpful today. When I went through my abuse, because it was a family member, 
his mother, my grandmother, uh, was not happy with me telling. And she started to, she was a little funny with me, but she's a Christian. And right after the abuse happened, a year later, I was attacked by a Doberman. And I died and came mm. back, right? And so, anyways, I, I lost mm. my voice, and I had to stay with my grandmother for um, for a few months because my mother, my mom had to go back to work. My mother was a maid, and my grandmother had to take care of me. And the challenge was now to take care of the daughter of her son that snitched on her son that brought shame to the family. So the, the levels of shame uh, that are associated mm. with uh, you speaking up and uh, and it being considered disrespectful uh, and and worried about being excluded from the family because you tell. So some people just suffer in silence, and they choose to suffer in silence to avoid the shame and to avoid um, just being kicked out the family pretty much, you know, everybody turning on you because they love that. My, my father was everybody's favorite uncle, favorite cousin, favorite everything. Uh, and so mm-hmm. my truth and is, like gonna be taken as a lie and at five and six years old that's what I had to figure out and so listening to um to brother man Wendell you know it's guess what he had to make a choice at four years old that's Mm -hmm. like that's a severe level of pressure stress trauma re-victimization at the highest level that I could think of, that you have to rationalize protecting someone else at that age when you're hurt and when you've been um, taken advantage of and, and traumatized and to make sure, you know, that, that you share with us a little bit about your attempted suicide. And, and I'm, I'm a suicide survivor, and I share, I lost my sister in 2020 to suicide. She was also abused. Um, by the mm. same perpetrator. Uh, and so the levels of trauma uh, that take place in the brain um, from being sexually abused or even traumatized or bullied, because you shared that you also went through some bullying. So I want you to kind of take us through how did you get to the place of thinking about taking your life? Or was it all of these things together? But just walk us through, because right now, Suicide is at the highest, and um, unfortunately, it, it's it hits home. It's hitting home for a lot of families mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, please elaborate. Well, see, the brother man has uh, the the that they say, um, the collaborative of all those things happening, and um, so it just wasn't just one thing, you know that that did it did it for me but it was a number of things and they piled up and um so dealing with the trauma of those things going on um in my past and 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 so here it is um you know the the student i was a c a d a e a f g a student in elementary school and in high school and in the second grade I got kept back um in the second grade I remember and it was like why my friends that I've made at school here uh why are they going on and I'm not going on why I can't be with them 
And I remember thinking those type of things. And so uh, I had a a reading um, deficit. And, you know, it it, it was just a bad feeling, I just remember. And so it went into me going into overdrive and performing well, performing well in school, but yet – it was still in in result in those C's and B's and F's, and I just remember going to um, I, I I got bullied during those times in school because of my size and because of my weight, and I just remember going to high school and still getting bullied because at the time, you know, all I had to wear was um, Catholic school uniforms. And so my parents had to, you know, they they didn't have to scrape or anything. But at the time, that's what I had. I just remember getting bullied about that. And um, when I got to high school, um, I was given an assignment in my biology class to do. And I just remembered, okay, I'm going to do this assignment. I'm going to get some grades up, you know, and, and all of this and I got up there, I plagiarized out of the book, y'all, and, and said it was my work, and the teacher read my report. She said, well, come in. And I went over there, proud of my little report that she had, was looking at it. And she said, say this word. And I couldn't say it. She said, what does this word mean, Wendell? And I couldn't tell her what it meant. She said, you get an F on this, because I know you didn't even And I was like, man, come on. And she's saying, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you the chance by letting you do it over. And I want you to get a dictionary and a thesaurus. And I want you to do this report over. So the brother man did that. And guess what? The brother man, the brother man was able to get an A off that thing. What you say, what you say. Hey, the brother man, feel out. That's right. The brother. The brother man was all happy and everything, and and it caused him to want to go to college because I was making good grades, you know. And 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 at that time, you know, my sister who who had gone off to college, they would my parents would say, well, you know, such and such, my sister is good with with books and and with studying and she's really good you know she's smart and then when it came to me they would say well Wendell he got common sense and I was like so I'm not as good as her so you know the brother man when he got hey he made him like I'm going to college yeah and I went to Tuskegee University oh yeah them Golden Tigers. Oh, yeah, the Golden Tigers. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Get up there. But I didn't go to school, to college, to get educated. Although I was going to study veterinary medicine, the the great thing about it was that I could switch, and I switched to psychology because of my sister. And um, it ends up that... I didn't go there for that at that time. I wanted to be liked. And that self-esteem issue and 
all that trauma that I had before it started coming up and and I tried fraternities, I was drinking, I was partying. I ended up you all that I got kicked out of Tuskegee. And so I went to a all Christian college. And oh man, my grades did shoot up then, y'all. What y'all talk about? A's, B's, brother man had a couple of C's, but oh yeah. I had a hernia operation and I couldn't recover. Go ahead. And they told me I had that I had to I had to go home. And the the disappointment I felt, the shame I felt, just the the low of the lowest. And um and so you know what a brother man did? Brother man got a job with the state of Georgia working at a mental health um, establishment. And then the brother man got married. And then the brother man became a licensed and ordained minister. What you say? That brother man went to the higher of heights. He became an executive pastor. Oh, yeah, what you say, what you say. Couldn't tell the brother man nothing. But then as time went by, because I'm still dealing with that hurt. I'm still dealing with trauma, and I haven't done it correctly. And so after 13 years of marriage, I got a divorce. That job that I had gotten uh, for 30 years, I got ridden up so many times, (laughs) it wasn't, yeah. And then the heart to the stake, yeah, the stake to the heart, however you want to put it ended up you all that the senior minister at the church I was attending he ended up in the scandal and it broke up the church and I was feeling bad yet again all these good things that happened now have soured and it ends up you all that I got a letter um, in the mail talking about child support and they said that I had an arrears. And I said, no, I don't have no arrears. I've been paying my child support. And it ends up that um, I had to go down and clear my name. So I presented them with the evidence of money orders that I stapled to um, the paperwork that I would always get and showed that I had spent, you know, the, the the money. And they investigated, and they came out to say that, yes, you're right. You you have been paying child support. And at that point, I felt like I was nothing more than an ATM machine. I was nothing more than a cash cow. And that I hadn't, even, I hadn't seen my son then, who was three, And I felt horrible. I felt like the last thing that life could have taken from me was that, was that I couldn't be a father any longer. And that drove me to the thoughts and feelings of taking my life. So in 2008, I tried to take my life through suicide and through being struck by a incoming train.
and my higher power stepped in because as I'm driving towards the train to get hit, T-boned, my higher power said, your son. And I said, that's who I'm doing it for. They can get the insurance money. Everybody be happy. They had their little money. They won't have me, and I don't have to be bothered with any more of this hurt and pain that I'm going through. And again, as I'm driving towards the train, my higher power says, your son. And at that point, I let go of the storm wheel. And it hit something that was in the road. All I know that the car veered away from the train, and I ended up hitting the tree. And it was a um, a power a power uh, pole. And I was in between there, and I'm crying and boohooing and and all of this. And like, I need help. I need help. And I got over the accident and all of that, you all. But I did the conventional thing. I went to the doctor. The doctor prescribed medication. They prescribed me um, doing therapy and and everything. And I did those things, and it was the worst. The medication made me feel loopy, and it made me feel like I was walking and doing things in slow motion while everybody else was in regular mode, I would say. And then when it came to therapy, it was like, if you remember coming to America, the first one and Eddie Murphy is getting to know his to be, and he asked her the questions such as, so what's your favorite color? And what does she say? Whatever you like and bows down to him. That's what I thought therapy was. And I, I needed that guidance. I needed that shift. I needed that that influence. And And you just want to tell me whatever I like and whatever I want to do? No. No. And in 2008, I said, screw all of this, the medications, the therapy, and I white-knuckled it, and it was the most horrible decision I made. I did not try to regain my dignity, self-respect, or anything like that until, until 2018. So that meant that 10 years have gone by of my life, and it was utter misery. And it ends up that um, in 2018, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Hines shared his story. And now I never heard a man share their story about mental health. And he had the diagnosis of bipolar with psychotic features. And I listened to this guy share. He was being vulnerable. He was being honest. And I 
started crying because this guy was spilling his guts out. And I'm in my head, I'm saying, that's me, that's me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. What do? And I've never seen a man talk about it like this. I went to AA meetings, you know, but the way he talked, there's something about him that was just real. It, it, it was, man. And I remember crying my eyes out. Because this guy touched me so, and he said, I jumped off the Golden State Bridge. And when I jumped off the, 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 the railing and looked at that water, and I jumped, he said, in midair, I came back to my senses, and I said, what am I doing? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to live. I just don't know how. That man was speaking to me. I wanted to live, y'all. I wanted to live. I wanted to live. I wanted to live. And it ended up that this guy said the words that jolted me and caused me to make movement in my life. I went up to him and I said, man, you saved my life, boo-hooing and crying. And he's like, who he's like, who are you? You know. And he's like, what's your name? And, and I say, it's Wendell. And he's like, man, can I get with you? Can I get your number? And can we talk? And, and I was like, sure, sure. But at that time, there was other people congratulate him and do well wishes and all this stuff, and like a thief in the night, like Nicodemus did, the brother man slipped away and was thinking that he would never, ever see him again. But he caused movement in my thinking. And after that, um, about three to four months later, this gentleman shows up at my job. And I work with the Behavior Health Link or the Georgia Crisis and Access Line. And he was doing a documentary on suicide. And he was talking about the different community resources and supports that was out there. And here it is. He shows up at my job because we are a crisis intervention type service where you're 24-7. 365-day crisis intervention service for mental health, substance use, and developmental disabilities. And this guy shows up at my job to talk about what's being offered in the country. And he looked at me and he said, I know you. And I say, I know you too. He say, you told me. I saved your life. I said, I sure did. He said, but you never did tell me how or why. And I said, I didn't. And I and I got, I was telling him how. And you know what this man does? He says, stop filming. I want Wendell to be in this movie, this documentary with us. 
and he can tell me what it was. Do you not know? I I I got into this now multi award winning documentary film on taking what has happened to you and turning it into positive things. And so that's the reason we called it suicide, the ripple effect. And whatever positive things you can do, it makes its rings as like a coin being tossed in the fountain and it makes ripples. That's what that film is about, turning the negatives and making it a positive. And you all told me to make more movement, even to the point of one day my job performance went down and my supervisor, she she saw that and she came to me. She said, wonder what's going on? And it was time to put up or shut up, you all. And I put up and I let go of my my facade, my walls, and everything. And I was honest and I was vulnerable with my supervisor. And you know what she says? She said, Wanda, I think you're depressed and anxious. And she said, you're not the only one. I'm diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I think you need help. I'm willing to take you to your doctor so that you can get the help that you need. And she said, I think you might need medications. And I said, I know I've already been down that road. I'm not going to do it. And and she's like, but I'm willing to take you. That changed my whole perspective. And when I got to the doctor's office, Dr. Thurman, he was the most empathetic, kind caring doctor I have ever met. I told him my situation because I drove myself. I wasn't going to let the woman drive me and all of that. I had to be macho man, Randy Savage. Woo, yeah. And I went down there to that doggone office. And I told him, and he said, Mr. Fields, you know, there's medication. I say, oh, no, doc, I already took meds. Mm -mm." And he said, there's medications out there that can help that doesn't have the side effects that you're talking about. He said, Mr. Fields, will you allow me to help you? Put up a shut up, right? Started taking the medications. Started taking the medications. And it started making a difference. But yet I found out that due to my medical history, I have sleep apnea, I have type 2 diabetes, and my testosterone had started going down, and um, the um, serotonin levels that help you to cope with emotions and all that, it was somewhat distorted from tests that they did. 
And in that, I started addressing those situations and circumstances one by one. And my health has improved. My mental health has improved. My physical health has improved. Y'all, it's just been amazing. It's like dominoes falling one after another. And so recovery does work, but you have to look at it from a holistic approach and not just one thing is going to do it. There's a whole lot of ways that recovery can happen, but you can't put yourself in a box because what works for me might not work for you, but recovery is designed in such a way that there's different ways to get on the road of recovery, and there's not just one way. So those are the good things that has happened um, with me addressing those issues that I've had. But there's so much more that's going on now and past that. Right. Hold on before before you go to the good stuff, because I do want you to, to spend the last 10 minutes of your time. Right now we're at 10 minutes. Um, so first I want to open up for questions. Um, and I do want to just, again, Wendell, I just want to say thank you so much for for your transparency and allowing, um, you know, the footsteps of the mentor that allowed you to see yourself, the man sharing his story and the power behind it of saving lives, uh, and that you're able to now be that, be a reflection of a man who survived abuse and is saving lives because you may not think that you're saving lives because maybe people are not coming up to you, but you're saving lives. Um, I know Ms. Paula had a comment, and so I want to open up the mic and allow her to join us. Go ahead, Paula. Okay. Um, I was just thinking about, I was listening to you when you mentioned how it's almost like you didn't have the words or to you didn't hear what you needed a lot of times in counseling and there's nothing wrong with counseling or therapy because they see mm-hmm. things or they can help you mm-hmm. see things or think about things that you really didn't think about you sometimes we think oh you know I thought about all that but they have a way of getting to certain things but to mm-hmm. me also the book way um, you hurt someone that that really hit something specific in counseling. When you, I think, when you first went, you were saying how it really wasn't what you were looking for. It's like that's just not it. Versus when someone, off, I don't know if he was off the street, not off the street, but just someone that wasn't in a therapy set, setting. Someone was just like one on one with you, who just told his heart, told the reality. There was no book involved. There was no guideline involved. He was just pouring out what he had, and that resonated with you faster or better, I should say, than just sitting and just, you know, number one, number two, number three, because in between number one and number two, there's something. And mm-hmm. when you're having a one-on-one discussion or some, when you're talking to someone just random you know, in a random conversation, the heart is in it. And I think that is more helpful 
Um, and I hear a lot of people say, I don't go to therapy because they want to talk about this. They only want to talk about that, and it's not what I'm feeling at the moment. And they're not understanding sometimes, well, in therapy, there is a guideline that they have to follow. There's a way that they have to kind of get in and dig up and slowly get in. So people, a lot of people, they're so hungry, and it's like, I need help now, you know, that they don't really have the patience to go through to do the work because they don't really understand how it works. Um, I was just making a comment on that because I've, I hear people, when I'm talking to them, it's almost like when I'm talking, just giving my heart and the fact that I can honestly identify with what they're saying and I'm speaking what they've been trying to say or they're like, that's exactly what I've been dealing with. And, you know, versus going to therapy is like, they're talking about stuff that has nothing to do with how I feel right now. They're talking about stuff and saying things, and they get impatient, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to well. comment on that. Like, I was understanding, and it made sense when someone that just gave their heart, and you was like, you saying the same thing that I'm going through, so I'm not the only one. You know exactly what I'm talking Like, a light bulb just, you know, a light bulb took went off. Mm-hmm. I thank you so much, Miss Palmer, for for sharing and 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 giving your comments. It's needed. It's wanted. Um, and you know, like I said at that time, um, I I didn't understand therapy. Uh, I, I you're talking about impatient. I was just needing, as you were saying, you know, someone to listen to me who could identify with me and and who was a, a symbol of you can make it, you know. And um, like I said, what, what works for me might not work for someone else. And, mm-hmm. and because recovery is different on all realms for people. And so the main thing is to use what, you have what you understand and keep on building though on it mm-hmm. and now have I gone back to therapy yes but it's not the end all and be all there's right. different things that's out there like I said it's a it's the the whole holistic approach and it's that pie if you take out one slice then you have that other percentage there, but it still needs that one thing that you ate up to be there mm-hmm. so you can be whole. So, but thank you so much, Miss Paula. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Miss Paula. We appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, and thank you for answering her question. Uh, Mr. Wendell, that was perfectly yes, said and addressed. Um, if you're right, thank you. Uh, and thank you for your transparency. Thank you for being genuine. And thank you for following the leadership of your mentor. Um, he definitely has taught you well. I even shed a little tear over here, and I don't shed no tears a lot of times. So trust me, I was like, oh, wow, I'm just kidding. So, you know that means you're doing God's work and you're doing it well. 
because uh, they're reaching the hearts of, of the people. Um, so you have a nine minutes, and I want to make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, we were able to hear from your story, your testimony, and I'm sure that was just touching the tip, just the tip, okay, because I know, trust me, um, within this time is not even enough time to really deal with your story. But um, I also want you to share uh, some light on some of the things you're doing in the community today. Um, I see here that you're board certified Christian counselor, um, certified Christian life coach. Um, you're um, National Association of Christian Counselors. You're with them. Um, the NAMI, you know, you're one of the board of directors uh, and also appointed as a representative for George. Uh, for Georgia, um, the NAMI National Peer Leadership Council, and uh, just a whole bunch of different things. So if you can just kind of tell us where you're at today, that would be great. you got eight minutes. All right. So now I'm a part of the um, the, the Behavior Health Link or the uh, Georgia Crisis and Access Line, um, and I work the GCAL part, which is the call center now. I used to go out um, and do the mobile crisis where we do face-to-face assessments. But now I get the chance to be a community liaison and go throughout the state of Georgia to present what the um, Behavior Health Link has to offer. And once again, they are 24-7, 365 day crisis intervention service for your mental health situations, substance use situations, and developmental disability situations. And mainly in crisis, people want to take their lives or overdosing or various things that's going on. We help you. All you got to do is pick up the phone and dial 1-800-715-4225 or 988. And they will connect you with us and the services that we provide. And so I had gotten a promotion with that, and so now I'm the community liaison and letting people know about the services of the call center. And guess what? It's totally free, 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 free. But um, also with that, ladies and gentlemen, um, I do do work with NAMI. I do a various programs that they have. Um, one is um, In Our Own Voice where I share my lived experience like I did tonight with um, groups of people um, that has mental health issues or don't have mental health issues. And um, I tell them my story about recovery, and it helps them to relate, to get hope, to get understanding, education, and um, learn how to advocate for themselves. And so I do those types of things, but also I've been doing engagements, speaking engagements, and where I talk about mental health and substance use issues and try to help people to understand and how to connect with the community that they live in and know what's out there, the resources and the supports, because sometimes they don't know that and they feel alone. You're never alone. And guess what? Your crisis has no time limit schedule on it. Give the BHL a call. But NAMI got their number two now. Go to NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org, and it'll help you out too. 
And um, I'm working on a new book, uh, co-author of a new book, and um, it's coming soon. And, man, all these good things are happening, ladies and gentlemen, all because I started working a recovery program. It's different strokes for different folks, but yet I haven't used alcohol in over 33 years. And not only that, I've been really working the program, and so much benefits you all. I'm happy today, and I'm continuing continuing learning about me, about what's my limits and what's my strengths. And that thing is working for me. The brother man is making it happen. And I encourage you today to make it happen. Thank you for sharing that. I, I Definitely, that's amazing, you know, to be able to take what you've been through in the past, some of the hurt, some of the pain, and to be able to help others and to let them know that they're not alone. I think that that's really, really important um, as far as, you know, helping other survivors of child sexual abuse, trauma, depression, anxiety, and um, addiction. You know, you were dealing with alcohol addiction um, and different areas that we can relate to. Uh, A lot of times the self-medicating um, I know you also talked about we only have three minutes, so I'm not going to go on with it, but um, my sister, when she passed away from suicide, she was under medication. I think it's really important to just be under the right medication. <clears throat> Some of the medications do cause um, thoughts of suicide, and you'll hear that in uh, side effects. And so, you know, being around people that know you and can tell, like, that is not who you are. You're acting crazy, girl. Because I know when I was <laughs> using the the cannabis oil that I shared that with you, um, people who know me, they would have caught, like, girl, you're acting crazy as hell. What are you on? <laughs> you know, because what I was on was something that was mixed with something, you know, what's given to these new generation to get them addicted. <laughs> and it wasn't pure, it wasn't natural. It was making me act psycho and crazy. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it's important to surround yourself with safe people who love you and know you. And, but girl, I love you and I know you. And I know your quality. That's not true. You acting crazy. Uh, and be okay mm-hmm. with, you know, being supported. Um, so we're down to about two and a half minutes. I want you to just let people know how they can contact you uh, for speaking engagements or if they need to reach out for counseling services, support. Go ahead. All right, so they can get with the brother man at wendellefields.com. Um, that's the, the website. Or you can get in contact with me by emailing me at wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, underscore, fields, F-I-E-L-D-S, at yahoo.com. And I will respond to you and get back in contact with you. And you can look me up on Facebook. You can look me up on um, Instagram. Um, Instagram is WinBlue. And um, on Facebook at Wendell Fields. And um, we're going to make that thing happen. And just know that you all are never alone. 
And for those that are, you know, using um, substances, know that there's hope for you. And you can turn that thing around. And um, it's not fun when you have um, drug-induced psychosis. That thing is horrible. But you can make it. But you can make it, you all. You always can. And we're here to help you. So don't think that you're alone. And don't think that you have to do it by yourself because you are not an island to yourself. Right. Well, thank you again, um, Mr. Wendell, for tonight. Um, Thank you for joining us, everyone who came on tonight. Uh, We have Ms. Sharon. I know we're down 20 seconds, so we can't really hear from her tonight. Um, She came in a little later, but next time, hopefully, and hope to have you again, um, you know, and digging a little deeper in this topic. I think this is a really important topic for, for men to hear. And so we love you. We appreciate you. And um, we're just going to say to everyone, have a good night. Good night. Good night. And this good night. is when they'll be Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.